Good afternoon, it's 5 o'clock on 3CR, 8.55am. Welcome to Brainwaves. We've got a very special guest who unfortunately is stuck in traffic at the moment. Professor Pat McGorry is on his way. We're all very keen to talk to uh, the Professor, but he's uh, stuck in traffic. So we're just going to go to a quick song and uh, fingers crossed he'll be here shortly. 3CR 8.55am, this is the Brainwaves program and we're very, very lucky that uh, Professor Patrick McGorry has made it through Melbourne traffic and is here with us, so welcome Professor. Thanks a lot. Professor McGorry is the uh, Executive Director of Origin, the National Centre of Excellence in Youth Mental Health and of course Australian of the Year in 2010. Uh, Very excited to have you here and we're going to throw over to to the girls Sue and Kathleen to talk about origin and headspace and some other things. So over to you. Yes, I I definitely, I was probably the first one to shoot my hand up when I knew that you were coming on the show. (laughs) Um, So I'll just start off with the first question that I've got here. Why, I've heard that you use the terminology mental ill health as opposed to mental illness and or mental disorders. Can you please um, shed a light on on that? Yeah, thanks. That's a really good way to start. Um, Well, it's like a conscious thing because... um, no one should be defined by by a mental illness you know, as a person. So, so I think if you use that that more um, fixed sort of term like mental illness, um, people think, well, um, you're going to you're going to be stuck with it for life. Whereas we we know that mental ill health comes and goes. Everyone suffers from good and poor mental health. Um, at least fifty percent of us will have diagnosable mental ill health at some point and need help. So you know, it's a more flexible term. And, you know, we, we sort of compare it to physical health problems. You, no one gets defined, you know, just, just because you've got um, stomach problems or, you know, headaches or asthma or whatever it is. Um, they're periods of, 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 uh, of, of physical ill health. And even if, even if it persists, well, you know, we, we, we sort of uh, realise that people um, improve or they get worse. And so it's more flexible, I guess. That's the main reason for it. Hmm. Anti-stigma. So Patrick, a question that I really wanted to ask you, your work, it's been highly regarded in Australia internationally. Can you explain to our listeners the beginnings of Headspace and also your work at um, Origin? Sure. Well, first of all, it's not just me. There's a whole army of people working out there in a really great way. We've got amazing colleagues and and there are so many wonderful people working in the mental health field that are, you know, contributing to, to sort of progress and trying to make things better. Uh, but I, I do think that one of the important things has been this focus, first of all, um, on the idea of early intervention, sort of not waiting until people get really, really sort of um, in desperate situations, which unfortunately still is the case, um, especially with all the cuts to public mental health services over the last few years. It's getting, that's, that's getting a bit worse, that problem. So we shouldn't wait and, and sort of give up on people either. We shouldn't assume that people are sort of, um, in, in, the, in that term, hopeless cases or you know, that, um, are written off or just thrown on the scrap heap. So the antidote to that is to, is to try to find people as soon as they're starting to struggle and, and just, um, I suppose, give them, a first of all, something very simple, a listening ear, you know, someone who they can trust, they can talk to, get more information, more support, and then try to work out what kind of problem it is. Does it need more specialised help of some sort? And, and um, so early intervention is really important. And that... that often means focusing on young people like 75 percent of mental health problems will appear before the age of 25 it's different from physical health you know physical health problems tend to strike in little kids or in people over 50 in between people are pretty healthy physically these days and but mental 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 ill health is quite different it's the opposite pattern it starts starts off in in some cases in childhood but then really gets going in adolescence and early adult life and peaks you know those in the early 20s actually so 
Um, it does mean a focus on youth mental health. And when we started to sort of get clear about these things, um, we realised there was no real system for young people. You know, the system that existed was designed for either little kids or, or old people, you know. Um, and so they really didn't have anywhere to go that they felt comfortable. So we had to develop new cultures of care. And that was things like Headspace and Origin and Epic. You know, Epic was originally the, the sort of prototype, you know, because it was developed for young people with psychotic illnesses like schizophrenia and, and so on. And, and even those illnesses which are seen as much more severe, we found that, that we were much better able to treat them if we treated them earlier and in, in a much more humane and holistic way. Um, and um, that was a bit of a revelation, I think, to, to the field. And, and we got a lot more confidence to go on and look at other areas. Okay. Uh, well, just following on from that, how, how do the community-based initiatives like uh, you described, Headspace and Origin, prevent people from falling through the cracks? Yeah, well, I suppose the first thing is to make sure that there's, there's a first port of call, you know, which, um, you know, we were trying to do these things from the, the, the specialist public mental health system in the, in, in the 1990s in particular. Um, but, you know, we were operating in the northwest of Melbourne, like, you know, quite a an area with a lot of areas of disadvantage within it, you know, and um, we, we were treating, you know, um, about seven or 800 young people a year, and um, that's all the resources that we had were able to do, and even then we had to discharge them after two years, even if they needed on, ongoing care, so there wasn't enough, and we realised that, just we worked out from the National Mental Health Survey data that in our catchment area of, of about a million people in the northwest, there were about 50,000 young people in any given year who would need some kind of mental health care or support and you know we were seeing 700 <laughs> so okay. something else needed to be built you know? and it wasn't just standard general practice it wasn't just the the, the, the family GP it, you know um, it had to be something much more youth friendly engaging for young people and in which young people had a, had a, had a voice and a say in how the, the, the whole thing was configured and, and run and and that led us to design something which became Headspace and the federal government funded that in 2005 and um, started off with, you know, the first three years there were 30 centres, you know, established across different parts of Australia. And now next year there'll be 100. So it's something that's grown, you know, because it's worked. You know, the communities, you know, value it. They want to have a headspace. And it's a holistic sort of um, stigma-free sort of setting for young people. Now that gets young people in the door. Um, and, and probably most of them can be helped by that sort of, you know, uh, basic sort of model, you know, with, um, you know, a youth-friendly GP, psychologists, youth workers, vocational, drug and alcohol, but at a primary care sort of level. But there's about a third of the young people that come in, or even more in some cases, who need more specialised help. And that's where we're struggling now, you know, because state governments have not actually provided that next tier of care. And, and even at Origin, we're, we're you know, uh, only partly funded to do that job, and our funding is shrinking, you know, um, every year. So... There's a, there's a, we've, we've probably got to the base camp of what we're trying to do, um, but we've got to cover all of Australia, not half of Australia, with headspaces, and then we've got to build the, the specialised backup system, you know, again in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a youth-friendly and, you know, culturally right way. You know, for, and we compare ourselves with physical illnesses like diabetes or, or heart disease where, you know, if the GP, if it's too complex for the GP, there's someone you can go to for the next level and almost everybody can get access to that. And, and, and it's probably the best quality in the world that what we have in Australia, but we don't have that in mental health yet, you know. So we're 20 years behind the rest of the health system. Okay. Um, so that was a long answer, sorry. <laughs> that's 
So most people in society will have a rough idea of what psychosis is, but sometimes these ideas may be misunderstood to be irreversible, untreatable, such as he's gone mad, she's lost her mind. Hmm. Um, these facts, most people with psychosis make a full recovery. So can you please explain these misconceptions? Yeah, well, that's a great question too, because that's where we started off with our work with Epic back in the early 90s. And, and um, you know, it's an idea that's been resisted, actually. I'll come back to that in a minute. But, but um, you know, the, the idea about schizophrenia in particular, it, it, it was based on 19th century sort of thinking in a way, which came from the old asylum era, you know, the old mental hospitals, which have been dismantled now, but, but only about 20 years ago. So they're quite recent, you know, and that was 19th century thinking. And, and, um, and, and you know, in those days, people would, would come into those asylums when they were really unwell and, you know, the, uh, uh, there was no treatment really, so people didn't get better. And that, so they spent their whole lives in the asylums. So tremendous pessimism about what could be done for patients. And the, the concept of schizophrenia was de de developed from an earlier concept called dementia precox, which meant early dementia. So that's the way they thought about, you know, psychosis and schizophrenia. They thought this is like an early form of dementia, meaning that you're just going to get progressively worse. And of course, if you got admitted to one of those asylums and, you know, nothing stimulating happened to you for 30 years, of course you got worse because you were cut off from the whole of society and there was no future, people were hopeless and and there was no treatment. So, but these days, you know, treatments work. Um, they're not perfect, and, and some of them have a lot of side effects still too. So, you know, um, we, we still, we've still got more to do, but, but we've got really good psychological and social treatments for, for psychosis. We've got um, newer and, and somewhat safer medications as well, which people are learning how to use much more carefully than they did in the past. Um, so the outlook is really hopeful. And one thing that we did in recent years, which you know, I think transformed expectations for young people is with these psycho psychotic illnesses was that as well as just treating their symptoms and their kind of psychology as well, you know, what we wanted to do was help, help them to have normal lives, which means being able to get a job, being able to finish their education and all that sort of stuff. And we found that if we did that more specialised work around vocational things, that even if they weren't completely well, they could do those things. And 80% plus were able to get back to school or work, and they didn't end up on the scrap heap or in, in a backward of a hospital. So, it, you know, it was really amazing to see this optimism coming into the field. Okay. Um, so just following on from that, you've, you know, you've talked about early intervention, but how, how do you think detecting and treating psychosis early makes a difference? Well, one of the things, maybe I could just illustrate that with, with an example. We, we've just got a... A, um, a, a, a grant, a research grant from the National Institute of Mental Health in Washington. It's the first time it's ever happened in, in Australia in mental health. And it's a, a $9 million grant to, to study the treatment steps in, in very early psychosis. So even before someone's had a major break, like you said, going mad, you know, that's the lay term for that. But ha having full-on delusions and hallucinations, you know, and losing touch with reality, that's called a first psychotic episode. But we're trying to find people before that actually happens. And we, we do find that people have often months or even years of warning signs of this happening. So, you know, they might be struggling with relationships, they might be more withdrawn, they might start to have perceptual changes which aren't full-on hallucinations, but they're just, you know, worrying signs, you know, um, hearing whispering perhaps or clicks or noises and maybe seeing funny things out of the corner of their eye, becoming a bit more suspicious or paranoid but not really delusional. And this 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 take this occurs over a period of maybe maybe months or maybe years, so there's a chance to actually 
you know, headed off at the pass sort of thing. Um, and, and, and this is called intervention in this prodromal or subthreshold phase. And so this trial that we've got is, is, is basically targeting that phase and trying to reduce the risks of people moving on to more severe illness. And we've done some earlier studies which suggest that is possible. So that's, that's very ambitious compared to the way we were, you know, perhaps um, 15, 20 years ago. And a GP's being trained up to, to deal with this in line with the Headspace and Origin model? Professor? Well, yeah, well, GPs are, are, are central to Headspace. Youth-friendly GPs are like team members at, at Headspace, and, and local GPs can refer into the Headspace service too, so with mental health plans. So definitely GPs are, are very important, and, and um, they're, they're part of the, the, the treatment um, package as well, but obviously we need to have um, psychologists and vocational workers and drug and alcohol counsellors too because GPs can't do everything, and... and um, Luckily in Australia, we're starting to get funding streams that will support these other professionals, you know, coming coming on, on board. But yeah, GPs, I think your standard GP um, isn't well equipped to do it, um, to be honest. They do need these other youth orientated and, and, and mental health orientated um, um, sort of systems and cultures to help them. But they're pretty open to it, actually. Uh, we, we found you know, it's been great working with, the, with uh, quite a whole range of GPs now. So you... Um, just briefly emphasise the differences between people in the early stages of psychosis and those who suffer long-term psychosis. Mm -hmm. Could you tell our listeners, is there such a thing as too early or too late in treatment of psychosis? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a really fantastic question because just like in any area of, of health, whether it's cancer or mental illness, um, you can go too early. You can over-treat people. And there's a bit of a controversy at the moment about breast cancer. You're probably seen that about the introductal carcinomas that, that um, people can have and uh, some people believe that, um, that they're, they're fairly benign actually they don't need to, to be treated um, but there's a, there's a concept called staging in, in cancer which is really helpful to us because you know and it basically says that the treatment should be proportional to the stage of illness so if, if it is a very early cancer you don't have radical surgery or chemotherapy or radiotherapy you just do a simple operation and it's safe and, and effective and um, but if you wait until the cancer spreads, you do need to do more radical things which can have side effects. So the, pr the treatment must be proportional to the level of risk that the patient actually has. And that's what we're trying to apply in mental health too. So, you know, if someone drops into a headspace because they're feeling stressed or they're, you know, got exam pressure or they've got a relationship problems with a boyfriend or something like that, we don't say, sorry, that's, that's too simple a problem for us. We, we definitely will, will provide support and a listening ear and information and so on. Um, but it's not heavy-duty mental health treatment. You know, they're not seeing a psychiatrist. They're not being prescribed medication. So, so again, it's it's sort of making um, um, pro probably not not over medicalising the thing and, and just providing the the right level of of, of, um, of um, support or help. Um, and that gets around this dichotomy that we of, often have these debates in psychiatry about you know the medical model versus you know social models. I mean, we're able to integrate these things and, and also also integrate the idea of well-being with, with mental ill health. So we don't have to make these sort of false dichotomies between things. We can actually sort of link it up in a, in a, in a, in a careful way. But but um, there is a risk of over-treating, you know, um, if it's, let's say, if a GP prescribed medication for people too early, that would be an example of that. But then the, the main problem in the mental health system is under-treatment. Most people don't get their needs met. They don't get enough sessions or they don't um, get access at all, or they're kicked out of the service too early. And that and this is definitely happening in, in the public mental health system. Okay. 
So, Pat, uh, how, how do you think the early intervention model is tackling the stigma attached to mental illness? Um, well, stigma's obviously been a huge problem, hasn't it? It still is a problem for us. But certainly headspace centres um, seem pretty stigma-free to us and to young people that use them, partly because young people are helping us, you know, create the right atmosphere. Um, and because of what I was saying before, we don't over-medicalise over things. We, we, we have a kind of broad holistic model. And, and that, that's one, one approach which really seems to work. Having optimism, you know, and, and a belief in, in the young people. Uh, we believe that they are resilient. We believe that they will get better if they get the right sort of help. Um, having them having a role in, in the thing too. And the other thing that really works with stigma is successful treatment. I remember my dad was a, was a TB physician, you know, when tuberculosis was a really terrible disease. And, and, and when streptomycin, the treatment was invented and, and it cured the illness, a lot of the stigma and fear that was around TB just disappeared. Same with leprosy. Leprosy was obviously a hugely stigmatised and, and feared illness. And when there was effective treatment, that fear also reduced cancer. 50 years ago, cancer was the big C. No one spoke about it. Everyone's terrified, quite stigmatised. Um, patients weren't even told they had cancer because no one wanted to actually talk about the fear. Um, but that's all changed, and that's because treatment is much more effective. People are optimistic about the chances of survival, and, and I think if we have that more optimistic attitude towards mental illness and mental ill health, that will really help. One thing that works against that is the, is the underfunding of it, you know, because the services are poor quality because of poor funding, not because the workers aren't trying hard, but because the services are so underfunded there that they, they, the experience of people is often poor, you know, if they go into public mental health care because it's a, it's a late stage and often quite coercive and unpleasant. And, and that increases stigma because people lose confidence in the, in, this, in the treatment and the services. A topic that really interests me is young people. Could you tell us for our young listeners out there, how are young people in schools made aware of early intervention programs so they can get the help that they need? Well, in schools and I would say um, tertiary institutions too, where so many young people are going these days and, and, and probably, you know, that 18 to 24 age period is a, is a higher risk period even than the teenage period. So, so all of those educational sort of uh, settings need to have awareness and education programs and, and pathways to help seeking, you know, definitely need to be made clear. I don't know that it's really being done in a systematic way. It's been done in a piecemeal way in lots of ways. Lots of programs are happening in schools, but and there's a thing called Mind Matters, which is um, a federal government funded thing that's operating in schools and, and Kids Matters in, in primary schools. So um, they're sort of trying to, to grapple with that question that you brought up, but um, it, could, it could be more systematic. And I think the role of peers is, is something that's not really properly exploited because young people could help each other a lot more um, and they do, you know, um, I think they, they're very prepared to once they understand and they, especially they've got a bit of training and support and that's a great antidote. I mean, most young people would do that, but it's a great antidote to the, the big curse of, 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 of this age group, which is bullying, you know, and bullying is a huge risk factor for, for mental ill health in, in young people and very toxic and probably most of us have experienced it at some point and and um, it's if it's very intense it can it can be you know disastrous it can even cause um, suicide attempts and even even completed suicide yeah I'm I'm definitely very passionate about lobbying the government I know you are too and you've previously mm. lobbied the government to up the ante on mental health funding and take more taking mental health seriously in this country 
how do you, how will the public know um, that the money's being um, it's cost effective and which what what so what are the updates on mental health funding at the moment? Well, um, <coughs> I, I guess federally, um, the, the Mental Health Commission has produced a report uh, for the government, and um, it's been considered at the moment that the, the mental health sector is, is, is fairly pessimistic. I've got to say about. Um, the current health minister's response so far um, don't have really high expectations, and 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 yet it, you know they've they've waited for two years to do anything. So so I think this is um it's a critical time, and really encourage the federal health minister to sort of um, not just um, reorganise the deck chairs and make things more efficient, which probably could be done, but we need new investments, of course, and and a, a new a new vision and new imagination for the next phase and. And, uh, you know, we're very happy to help with that. Uh, at the state level, I think Daniel Andrews is a Premier that understands mental health better than most. Um, he was a health minister. He did good things when he was a health minister in mental health. He made a commitment to the election, um, and that's been repeated by Martin Foley, the, the Minister for Mental Health, that they will do something to fix up Victorian mental health, which has really gone backwards badly in the last five years or so. Previous government made major cuts, which were disguised, and, um, you know... We, we want to see a commitment from the Andrews government to to, to um, um, replace those cuts. I mean, Origin, our service, in the last year of the um, the Napthan government lost $800,000 from our budget. That means, you know, probably between one and 200 young people are turned away uh, that we could, have, we could have treated. So I think major reinvestment, major reform at the state level too. We've, we've started something called Australians for Mental Health. Um, we, which um, it's, 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 good, it's a good opportunity to talk about that because this is going to be a national grassroots campaign um, like GetUp. You know, in fact, GetUp are helping us um, design and, and uh, conduct this campaign and we want the voices of ordinary Australians affected by mental health to be heard and then we will actually sort of support them in, in um, I suppose, the political um, momentum required to actually get investment because politicians... Um, tend to follow the public mood rather than anticipate it. And um, and the, we know that the public cares about this issue. We've just got to give it the voice. And so we're trying to produce a, a sort of a mechanism and a structure to, to allow people to be heard, and particularly in the context of the next federal election. So that will be launched on Sunday in a crowdfunding um, mode first. Uh, we want to raise more money to support the campaign. So um, just remember the word Australians for Mental Health. And... Um, the tagline is end this madness. So, so we want to end the madness of underinvestment in mental health. And on that note, we're going to have to uh, end brainwaves for this Wednesday. But uh, Professor, look, it's been an absolute pleasure having you in here. Thank you so much. We know how busy you are, and uh, I know you're, uh, you, you know, your assistant was saying how you know you've torn left, right, and centre from people wanting to, to 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 pick your brains about this. But look, uh, thanks so much for coming in. That's Professor Patrick McGorry, Executive Director of Origin, the National Centre of Excellence in Youth Mental Health. Uh, thank you too. Thanks. Thanks for having thanks, me. Thanks, Kathleen. Yeah. Thank you. And thanks again, Th- Professor. No, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Great to be here. All right. Stand by for uh, the Renegade Economist. You're on 3CR. <laughs>